love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. I'm Haley Chura. I'm joined by Alyssa Gadeski. Alyssa, you're in Vermont, and I know the East Coast has been hit pretty hard weather-wise over the last couple of days. How are you holding up? So, well, there's been some highs and lows, Haley. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Let's Wait, let's start with the lows. What are the lows first? Okay, so the lows are twofold. One, the dogs are just really stir-crazy, right? Because Max tolerates booties like enough, but he doesn't really love them. And so, you know, just getting him outside and it's just so cold in general, right? Like even if he is wearing the booties, he really doesn't love it. And so the lows have been, and Ramona just won't let anyone touch her feet ever, period, end of story. And so there's no chance of putting booties on her. And when it is this cold, they can't be out long. Like they start to get frostbite basically on their toes, (laughs) I guess. And so like, she'll think she's fine. She'll run out like do her normal routine and then get like 25 yards in and be like, ah, I'm a frozen popsicle. I don't want to move anymore, you know? And so and she's like trying to stand on like zero feet. I love exactly. I, exactly. I kind of love that. <laughs> and so they just cute. look at you so sad and like sheepishly. And then I'm like carrying her down. Right. So you do uh, carry her, you pick her so up. Sometimes she literally won't move. So then if I, it's like a, it like refreshes, reboots her or something. Like I pick her up and then like, take a few steps and then put her down and she'll just like run then. Right. It's like it, maybe okay. it warms up her paws, like half a degree enough to like go. But, um, so they've been going stir crazy. And every time we leave the house, it's like, they're getting into something like they've just eaten more spring energy gels, I think in the last week than I have for sure. So, um, as much as we try and like put everything out of the way, they still are finding things. So, um, you know, it's always, it's just never fun when you come home and you're like, what have they gotten into now? Right. Luckily no major issues, but, um, and then Haley, so yeah, I've been, one of my projects while I'm not working out as much is like getting a gym, like a home gym, really like nicer looking. Right. Cause like, it's just been kind of thrown together uh, to date. And like, we have all the stuff. It just hasn't like looked nice. So I'm like, oh, well, I have a little bit more time. I'll like get proper rubber flooring and like put that in. Right. And like get a mirror (laughs) that's not like janky. Right. And like do that. So I found this mirror on Facebook marketplace and it's, it was huge. It was 72 inches by 36 inches. So like perfect for a gym like situation, right. Just giant mirror. And it was only an hour away. So I was like, okay, because mirrors are really expensive. I don't know if you've ever had to buy a mirror before, but they are like, I've watched enough. I've watched enough HGTV shows to know that yeah, mirrors okay. are very expensive. <laughs> so, um, finally found like the perfect one, right. On Facebook marketplace, total deal. So I go and I'm like, Oh, that's not going to fit in my like Subaru cross track. Right. Like no way. So then I'm like, okay, Matt, I need to take the, his truck. And he's like, well, the truck bed is only five feet. This is like six feet tall. So then you're going to have to like strap it in Alyssa. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I can just picture myself. Like I don't ratchet straps are like Chinese finger traps to me. Like it just makes no sense. And like, it's just a puzzle that I will never figure out. I do not understand ratchet straps. And like, I never feel good ratchet strapping anything in to a truck situation. 
especially not a, a mirror. Fragile, yeah, a fragile yeah. mirror. And you have to drive an hour. That's a long way. And it was like going to be really windy. I was like, this is a bad idea. So we have this old FJ cruiser that has like 205,000 miles on it. So it's like on its last legs, you know, we try and not really do too much with it at this point. And so um, it was going to be a long trip for it, but I was like, whatever, it'll fit in the FJ. I'm taking the FJ. But the problem with the FJ was it was basically snowed in because we park it in a yard like far away and don't plow like the driveway doesn't really technically go the way so that when the guy plows our driveway he doesn't plow to the fj right so it happened snowed in so yesterday i had to dig out the plow pile like he smushes you know you he plows to a point and then stops so it's like giant snow mounds basically yeah. i had to then dig out to get the fj out and so how sore are you today i mean i like can barely move <laughs> but so and it was like, I see, I mean, it was really, really difficult. Right. And so I got it down enough. I get in the FJ, I like read the instruction manual about how to make sure I'm doing the right, like buttons to do it, like real four wheel drive. I get it. And it's like a monster truck. Right. And it's like a slight downhill. So it helps me. And I like get out over this huge snow mountain. I'm like, yeah. Right. So I go get the mirrors, freezing cold, mostly fine. Get it in the car. Everything's working out. I come back and I'm feeling good. Haley feeling really good about my, like, snow travel solving yeah and so I, I was like high on confidence and I was like I pulled the sucker out of the snow mound I'm sure I can just drive it back over right so I <laughs> go up the driveway and I like hit the gas and it like goes up down and then I hear like like just that noise nothing like a crunch crunching noise but it was like and then it's just wheel spinning right and I was like oh no so the tracker, I mean, the FJ cruiser is like still very much stuck in the driveway because when it's not your main car, they're like great side of the stories. You don't really have to worry too much about it. But we spent, I spent another hour trying to dig it out on my own. Then Matt got home and we spent another hour trying to dig it out and we just can't get it to, we can't get it out. It's really sad. And it's really cold when you're like out there. Is it blocking your driveway? Is it blocking anything? No, it's not blocking anything until it snows again. And we need to like plow again, you know? So the plan of attack now is to, um, Matt's buying a tow strap so that we're going to like use his truck to tow it out kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's been quite, yeah, it was quite an episode. And it's just like, you know, you look out there, I'm like, oh man, the car, it's just like so stuck. Like when a car gets stuck in snow, it gets like really stuck. What about the mirror? Is this a high? Did the mirror make it? So the mirror made it. The mirror is still in the car. So that was the other funny thing is the mirror (laughs) is like so big that you like, it's up to me to be able to drive it because the way the mirror fits into the car, it's like you're pressed so far up against the like steering wheel and stuff, right? That like, you have to be really small to drive. So Matt couldn't get in last night to even try. I don't think he would have had any more skill than I did. And yes, we could in theory take the mirror out and try and walk it to the barn, but it's like so heavy and so fragile and the driveway is so slippery. We're both just like, oh, let's just try and leave it in for now while we like just get it to the barn, right? So this is like the the trials and tribulations of life in rural Vermont. I mean, our listeners are probably like, what goes on in these places? This, you guys, these are the So what are the highs? Fun. What are the highs? Oh, the highs? Um, Well, hopefully a high is coming. I'm trying, I'm going to go try and do some classic cross-country skiing because um, it is like cold. The snow is, the perk of it staying really cold has been the snow has like remained nice for 
skiing activities and stuff. So I borrowed some classic skis. I got the okay from my doctor to try it with no hills. So I'm going to go try that. I'm very excited that the snow has stayed nice for that. And it's really pretty. Like I have to say when it's like really, really cold and the snow does stay really like nice and fluffy, I think it is nice. And we have had sunshine as cold as it is. So those are silver linings, I guess. Right. Okay. I'll take those as highs. <laughs> I will say it is in here in Montana, it has warmed up significantly. And so I feel like that could be headed your way. Might help a little bit with getting the car out and that mirror into your barn, into your gym, finish that off. So then you can watch your form as you row. <laughs> Cause uh, I, I, I mean, I think a lot of people liked your rowing stories from last week. Has there been any update? Are we on the JV boat yet? Well, we're not on the JV boat yet, Haley. We're still pretty far from the JV boat, but I was curious, did it inspire you to hop on a rower last week and give it a try? No, no. not at all. <laughs> I I love the gym. I talked about it last week. I love the gym. I go, I feel like I could go to the gym almost every single day. I don't because some days I'm just doing other forms of exercise, but I've never felt like getting on the rowing machine. I've hmm. never had that urge. I have plenty of other things to do there. And I just have never felt like it. There is one. Um, I mean, I, I see people on the rowing machine. I see people going pretty hard on the rowing machine. I feel like you would, you would fit in really well in Bozeman. Um, you know, everyone's, everyone's going pretty hard all the time. <laughs> I, I think that's one reason I like it is because I don't stand out too much with, uh, my excessive exercising, but uh, so I still have no concept for the 2k row, how, like how I would do about with that. I feel like not well, but I have no experience, but did anyone write in to our mailbag with their rowing times? Cause you put out a call to action last week. Yeah. So luckily, so Caroline Gregory, retired professional triathlete, Caroline Gregory did let me know that, that, that getting under eight was legitimate. And like, she was like, Whoa, that's impressive. So I was like, good pat on the back for me. Right. I'll take it. But Haley, if we were riding co-host Jocelyn Neal also sent me a note. And so she dug back into the blog and at one point Jocelyn was really focused on rowing. And so she wanted to do national team testing, which is bonkers, right? So like they have like sports have these standards and you can kind of, you know, test to see if you meet the standards to be on national teams and stuff. So I guess Jocelyn was really focused on doing a 6k so that she could do the national team testing. And so 6k just makes me feel like vomiting in my mouth. Like even thinking about having to go hard for that long because 2k is really hard. 6k. I can't even comprehend. So her fastest 6k time was 2359.1. So, so that's eight, like three times. Yes. So that's really, really good. And so She's she, an endurance athlete though. Yeah, totally. I mean, totally. So she wanted me, she's fast. like, you got to do a 6k. I was like, oh, like suddenly I was just like nervous. I was like, I don't, I, uh, I'm not a rower. Um, but it is funny to see because I do think there is a great translation. I actually think you would be good at rowing if the form came somewhat like naturally to you, or if like you could figure it out. If I could get I a think, giant mirror. Yeah. <laughs> Save yourself the trouble. Just, uh, yeah. Um, but, um, just buy one. <laughs> buy one at normal expensive price and not, get it shipped get it shipped and delivered <laughs> this is something that maybe is worth the delivery cost um but yeah so it what was i saying oh but i do think there's a correlation between like being good at iron man and being able to row like i think that engine and the aerobic base and it makes sense right that jocelyn could do a 6k i would honestly i would wager that my 
6K time, I don't think I could go under 24, but I do think it wouldn't be like that bad for someone who's like not a rower, right? Because I do think, I mean, you see it at master's practice when I'm coming in and I could just like do repeats all day with two seconds rest, right? And it's like, it's, I can't go faster or harder necessarily, right? But I have the engine. And so I do think Ironman athletes would make really good rowers. And so, you know, I'm still putting that challenge out to people, row a 2K, row a 6K, send us your times and we'll tell you what boat you're in. We'll make a boat. We should make an Iron Woman boat. Does this inspire you to, when the weather's a little nicer, get outside and row on water? Do you think that would be fun? Well, so I do, we do paddling for adventure racing. And so in the summertime, I do get out and paddle a little bit. Um, I would, I think I would like rowing more than I like, like kayaking, I think. Um, Cause I think in rowing, you can go quite fast. Um, and so I do think there are like adult leagues. It would be fun. I do think it would be fun, but I like it anything. Just, I literally like anything competitive. You could be like, do you like, we could start talking about how now I want to be playing tennis all the time. Cause I'm watching the Australia open Australia pickleball, open. pickleball is the future. Yeah. <laughs> I might have to draw the line. Of, have you ever played pickleball? Everyone no, does, but my, but I don't yeah, the, I, one of the swim pool I swim at in the summer is across from pickleball courts and they are slammed. Like even at, I mean, maybe not at five 30 in the morning when I go to the pool, but like within probably 30 minutes of you know, the pool opening and the sun coming up enough, like there's a line of people playing pickleball. And one of the neighbor kids in my like little condo area set up a pickleball court in the summer. And he'd always ask me to play. I'm so worried about injuring myself. And I'm just, I can't come on here on this podcast and say that I got a pickleball injury. So (laughs) someday, someday I'll take him up on that offer. It does look like a lot of fun. And I do know it's very, very popular. And I feel like it, it looks fun. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I think it does. Everyone says it's fun. And so generally when you have groups of people that large saying things are fun and it's like taking off, it can't be, can't be not fun. Right. I've played a bit of tennis and my college swim coach was really into tennis. And so he would have us go play tennis occasionally. Huh. And I, it's hard. It's very hard though. I don't know if I, now I could do the lateral movement required for tennis. Like it's a lot of sprinting, a lot of lateral movement. And I feel like these days I am, you know, straight line forward (laughs) kind of athlete. I know I I did play tennis in high school. Did you know that? I don't think I knew that, but um, I love, I think it's like a fun, we should play tennis one time next time we're together. (laughs) How's your knee? How's that knee feeling? (laughs) Make sure that knee is okay. Um, I don't hear I'm worried about my injuries, but, um, yeah, maybe next time we can, we can work on that. Have you ever seen, did you ever see or read lessons in chemistry, that book or that Not show? Yeah, it is on my list though. It is on my okay. list. Yeah. It's a good one. Is and about tennis? No, rowing. This is going oh. back to rowing. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing about tennis, but there's, there's some connection to rowing in there that I think is, is beautifully told. And I think you might like that part. Plus the other parts of the story are very, very good. I think both the book and the show are well done. Okay. I'll, I'll have to move that up higher on my list then. So I want to go see boys on the boat too. Maybe that'll inspire me before my next time trial or something. I've heard that's good. I have not watched that and I didn't finish that book, which is so weird Hmm. for me, but, um, I think it was just a bad time in life. The other one I did watch on the trainer recently, since we were on this like shows, have you seen Nyad? Oh, I watched it on the trainer this weekend too. You did. So you're riding the trainer. Okay. I'm glad to hear you're riding the trainer Mm -hmm. one. And then, yeah. What did you think of it? Yeah, I I thought it was good. I mean, I 
it didn't, I mean, I know her story, but not that much of the story. Right. And I thought it was just well done. I thought it was engaging. I thought like, it's nice to see, because I think people here, she tried five times and she like didn't succeed to the fifth and it was really hard all these other four times. Right. But it's nice to have like the visual representation of like what that could have looked like. Right. To like really kind of wrap your head around that stuff. And so I mean, I think she's a pretty controversial figure, but I thought the movie did a good job of like telling the story about the achievement without like, you know, they still made it seem like she's not someone everyone wants to be best friends with, obviously, right? So I thought that was really well done without having to like really even bring up some of that stuff because I think that would have taken away from like the movie itself. So I did like the way it was kind of focused on what it was focused on. And I, I mean, I love stories about that kind of thing of like, just keep trying. You're never too old. Right. It's like, it's beautiful. It was, I thought it was great too. And I was listening to your conversation last week with Olivia Deitzel and Lin Liao about Flodex man. And I think you all talked about cruise and the importance of cruise and how that support team really makes a difference. And Nyad really showed that. I think mm -hmm. the heroes of that, of her accomplishment, of her swimming from Cuba to Key West was her crew. And I think the movie really showed that, as you you mentioned. I mean, the angels who made that possible were her crew. Yeah, I mean, it it was cool. It was I thought it was really cool. I think people should definitely watch it. It's a good I like it helped cost a couple hours on the trainer. So it is a really good trainer movie. Yes. I was having a hard time on the trainer and I was kind of feeling a little sorry for myself and just feeling like it was so long. I was riding for four hours and then I realized this woman is swimming 110 miles. <laughs> and I was like, okay, my four hour ride isn't that long. So it helps put things in perspective. The only thing I, I struggled with was some of the the shark and jellyfish scenes were so intense. And I was just yeah. like, I can't handle this. Like I can't handle it. And I'm not someone who gets afraid of, of ant wildlife in the water, but I think it was the music and everything. And I, it just was, that was a little intense, but it was also beautiful. And I timed it so that I was finishing right as her feet touched the sand. Oh. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. <laughs> I couldn't is. have managed it better. Thank you, Diana Nyad for, uh, for, uh, inspiring my workout. Yes. I'm sure she'd be really happy to know that. <laughs> Do we have any other mailbag questions, Alyssa? I feel like, you know, besides your, your rowing, team that you're building here do we have any other traditional triathlon questions no traditional triathlon questions this week Haley so if people want to send those in they certainly can to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com we do have an interview this week and I think this is a time of year for new beginnings and sometimes a fresh start means that something else had to end. And so I recently talked with Jenny Hansen and Palmira Alvarez, two women who decided to finish their professional racing careers at Ironman Cozumel last November. And so while both women used Cozumel to retire, how they got there and their respective post-race retirement plans are very different. So Longtime listeners might remember Jenny Hansen being a podcast guest a few years ago. She told us about her time as a collegiate runner. She made a huge impact on the sport when she went pro in 2012. She finished second in her first pro Ironman at Lake Placid, and then she won that race the following year. So after her early success, Jenny worked through a lot of challenges with crashes and injuries, and she tells me what kept her going through those years and why she plans to continue to race as an age grouper in 2024 and beyond. 
Palmira Alvarez is a Mexican athlete with a very different story. It took Palmira eight years of professional racing until her first pro win at Ecuador 70.3 in 2022. Now 41, Palmira tells me why, despite having some of the best races of her career in the past two years, now felt like the right time to step away from the sport. This interview is a little personal for me since I've raced alongside both these women throughout my career. And it was really special for me to kind of use their stories to reminisce a little about my own pro career. And I ultimately came away really impressed with all that all of us have done over the past decade. So we'll have that full conversation with Jenny Hansen and Palmira Alvarez right after the break. All right, Alyssa, I'm like starting to swim more again. And I feel like you were swimming a lot last year with, oh, with one water. And how did you keep your hair from getting so destroyed? I was swimming so much last year and I used to try hard, Kelly, and I still swear by it. They have extensively researched this problem and created a superior vegan, dermatologically tested proprietary blend. TryHard has shampoo, conditioner, body wash, and more stuff. Everything you're gonna need for your pre and post swim necessities. I've also seen that top pros like Chelsea Sodaro and Lucy Charles Barkley also praise the effectiveness of TryHard. I think it's like it's definitely changed how good I feel just coming out of chlorine. And we have a code right now too for anyone who wants to try, you know, try try hard and stop suffering from dry, itchy skin, having their hair get all, you know, green, which happens to me because mine's like super blonde and get all beat up. You can try any of the try hard products with the code 20 feisty. That's two zero feisty for 20% off store wide at tryhard.co. So that's 20 feisty for 20% off at tryhard.co. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast, Jenny and Palmira. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Hi, guys. Yeah, good morning. And Jenny, you're a returning guest. You were on the show a few years ago. But for the sake of our audience and myself, could you give us a little refresher on who you are, where you are in the world right now, and, and how you got started in triathlon? Yeah, so I am in Rochester, New York, upstate New York, and I've just finished up racing pro triathlon for 12 years. I kind of grew up running throughout high school and college, and then just after kind of one post-collegiate injury after another, I signed up for my first triathlon because I was, the doctor told me I could swim and bike, and I had thought about racing triathlons for a bit, so I I decided to, it was a good time to take the plunge and then just kind of immediately got hooked and moved up relatively quickly from there. What year was that? That was like, uh, like around 2010 ish. 2009. I did one triathlon in the fall and then 2010, I did my first half Ironman. Palmira, yep. this is your first time on the show. So we can get to know you a little better. Can we answer the same question? Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you are in the world right now. And how did you get started in the sport? Well, I am originally from Mexico. Right now I'm in Boulder, Colorado. I live here now because the sport, I moved here and I started just very casual. You know, I was working as an engineer in Mexico. I was in Puebla first, you know, a city in Mexico. I was working as an engineer and I had, you know, full-time job and uh, I discovered triathlon by accident and I didn't have any background, you know, any kind. So it was like a 
whole completely experience for me and uh, it caught me because I was very competitive but in 2014 I became a pro and then it's when we moved here to Boulder. So 2014, you became a pro. How did this accidental finding triathlon happen? And what, when did that happen? <laughs> well, it was a indoor triathlon uh, that uh, we had in our club and they invited me and I was like, okay, I, I, I was running in the treadmill, you know, a little bit because I wanted to lose body fat after a trip, you know, I was like in Europe and I was like, my body fat was up. And so I was like, okay, I'm running. And I don't know how I couldn't make it through the swim. It was a 500 meter swim. <laughs> the best thing that I did was the running on the treadmill, you know, it was the, the best uh, part. And, and yeah, I was the last one overall, except one friend that she was 62 at, at that moment. So it was like, it caught me like, oh, I can do better. I know I can do better. And I know that I can do it outdoors, you know, and a proper triathlon. So that was the beginning in 2006. Wow. You got to be careful when you're uh, just Adam and some random person, you know, <laughs> recruits you to do their indoor track club. So a big reason for this conversation is to talk about retirement. Each of you, you have very different stories about your careers and your decision to step away from professional racing. But before we go there, I want to hear about the start and how you knew it was the right time to go pro. So 2006, doing this indoor triathlon in Mexico to 2014, deciding to go pro. What made you make that decision? Well, uh, I kept doing it. I was super early, you know, training like 5 or 30 a.m. before work. And then I came back at night, like 7 to 10 or something like that. So it was like crazy, you know. And I start uh, racing as a age grouper. After a few years, I start uh, becoming better. And I was like, oh, this is so, so fun. And I explored it, you know, 70.3 distance, full distance. And then I was like, oh, I don't know. I feel like this is getting so much of me. Like, and I was not so ambitious with my job anymore. Kind of like the triathlon became a priority. And I was like, okay. Uh, my husband said, you know, I think you are very passionate about it. You should try. And I, I, and at that moment, I was not yet, you know, like, you know, proper times to make it. So uh, I quit my job in 2012. And then I start like kind of training a little bit more. And then 2013, I start racing more here in the U.S., you know, as an age grouper at the World Championships. And 2014 is when um, the Mexican Federation gave me the, the pro license. There were no like strict rules about how you become a pro athlete uh, in Mexico at that moment. So honestly, I think I was not ready, but yeah, I was like, okay, I'm doing it. And what, what was it like culturally and socially to make that decision? It sounds like your husband was very supportive, but when you go into your engineering colleagues and tell them you're going to step away from engineering to become a triathlete, did anyone think you were crazy? Yeah, they, 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 were, they were like, are you serious? You know, you, you, you have a great career here you, because I was 30, you know, so you have a lot of time ahead of you. You can keep growing. And I was like, yeah, I know, but I, I want to try and let's see what happens. If anything goes wrong, I can come back, you know, <laughs> anytime. I hope so. Somehow, I think some of them um, felt inspired, you know, by me, because I used to do like a motivational talks to them about, you know, what I was doing in the sports. And I think when I 
took this decision. I think that some of them were like, oh, she's doing it. They're like, this is serious, you know. They kind of understood, you know, what this was about. But it went out of the norm totally. Like, it doesn't happen in Mexico. <laughs> not much. Did you have any second thoughts? No, no, not really. I was like, okay, I'm, you know, I know that I can come back. I have, you know, my experience and 10 years, like as an engineer in government and private industry. So yeah, I was like, okay, I can, you know, I can make it if I want to. Jenny, what about you? How did you make that decision to, to go pro? Because I think for you, it happened pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty quickly. So I mean, I, I, like I said, I did my first triathlon in 2009. And then 2010, I, you know, I was still, I was still kind of more of like a runner that did triathlons. But I, I, you know, did my first half Ironman and came in second at Muscleman. And I think the next year, my big thing was like, oh, I want to come back and win, like, I'm going to get a tri bike and like, go more into this. And then in the meantime, I somehow like discovered the concept of Ironman 70.3 worlds. And I was like, I want to try to qualify for that. So I raced Moose Man that like late spring, early summer, and was terrified of everything. Like, I don't even think I rode in the aero bars in my bike, but I got my eight slot to 70.3 worlds. And then I, you know, had like a great day at Muscle Man and managed to win that. And then I got to 70.3 Worlds again, totally naive, not knowing what I was doing. And I somehow ended up as the second amateur there, not even on my radar, but I was uh, all of a sudden I was like, well, I guess I mean, that means I could take my pro card. And at the time I had never done an Ironman. I'd signed up for like Placid for the following year. And, you know, I was kind of on the fence of what I was going to do at that time. But I was about to start to work with my first coach, Mary Eggers. And she was kind of like, you know, well, your swim's not there, but you're not really swim training that much. So let's, you know, might as well just take the pro card. And I think at the time, my criteria, I was running the New York City Marathon that fall. And I was like, well, you know, if I run under three hours in the marathon again, I'll feel like I can take the pro card. But you know, I just kind of decided I might as well go for it. At the time I was working full-time as a physical therapist and I was still in the clinic that kind of whittled down over the years. So there wasn't really much to lose from, you know, trying to race in the pro field. You'd signed up to race Ironman Lake Placid in 2012 as an yeah. age grouper, and then you decided to race it as a pro instead. Yeah. Can you talk to us about that experience about doing your first Ironman and also your first race? I did a few 70.3s before I did placid so I at least had raced in the pro field a few times oh you had okay, okay. yeah yeah so I was, I was very used to getting out of the last. <laughs> it is it is a different race it is a different yeah. race and you have different stresses and you have different obligations there's a pro meeting and I I think that that's something that it's 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 hard to describe that for me sometimes like how it is different my very first pro race was actually Galveston when it was the North American championship. And it was like the Lance Armstrong year. So it was like this big hoopla of like all this like media there. And it, yeah, but I mean, you know, I was way, way, I think I came in like 20th or something, but it was, I remember just like sitting at that pro meeting and feeling so overwhelmed and like looking around at like all these women that I'm like, I have like idolized you. I don't belong here. But. Yeah. But then your first pro Ironman in Placid, you had a great race. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was intimidating because of course, you know, the 
it was the last year of the uh, mass start there. And of course I'm like by myself off the back of the swim. So I just remember like the hardest part was probably like that first lap of the swim, just getting engulfed by <laughs> like age groupers. My race plan was pretty much just like racing your own bubble. And you're probably not even going to like be on the radar until like mile 85 of the bike, which was kind of how it worked out. And then I got on the marathon and had no idea what to expect, but at the time, I just had so much run base in me that, you know, I ended up like running faster than I probably should have and ended up coming in second. So it was just like this kind of like magical day of everything going right. Did it help validate your decision to race as a pro? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think in some of the earlier 70.3s, it was kind of tough because, you know, I'm like back in the fields and, you know, just in general, I'm better with going longer. So I think that kind of validated everything. Palmira, what about you? Can you tell us about your first pro race experience? Uh, yeah, it was Monterrey 70.3 2014. And yeah, I was excited because it was in Mexico, you know, and I think I came in ninth or something like that. So yeah, it was okay. It was like, okay, this is okay this is good and I had fun and like you said it was more stress you know I think that the people expected more from me like at least in Mexico like okay you are pro you need to beat all age groupers you know and it was more like a conviction like I know that I want to bring the best out of me and I know that I can do better and yeah for me it was the right decision I have been uh probably the the one that has the longest career, you know, as a pro in long distance in Mexico, as a female. And I think maybe it's setting a precedent, you know, and that, you know, you can do it. And and I hope that more people can get into it. I hope that more females uh, can make a long career as well. Jenny, you mentioned working as a physical therapist, and I believe you, you did that throughout your entire pro career. I think you might've also done some triathlon coaching. Can you talk about the financial balance of doing all of that at once? Like I said, when I first started racing pro, I was working full time. And then I think it was kind of at the end of the 2012 season, you know, when I had some decent results and was like, but I was just, I was exhausted because I was, you know, it was, it was like putting in like three or four hours of training in the morning and then going and working like six to eight hours straight on my feet and getting home at like 8 30 at night and getting up at five to swim and it just it was really wearing me down so at that time I I think I dropped to like 25 hours a week in 2013 which was I mean obviously that was sort of the best year of my career but it was still a grind so um you know I, I stuck with that until like 2014 and in the meantime I went I, you know I got my USAT coaching certification I started picking up a few athletes on the side and I like used a lot of my prize winnings from from racing in 2013 to pay off my student loans I didn't really have any debt so that allowed me in 2014 our clinic actually got sold so that allowed me to move over to another clinic run by one of my former co-workers and just work like I think I was went down to like three afternoons a week. So I mean, that, that between that and then having some coaching income and having some racing income, it it worked out. And then just kind of, there were a few rough years for sure when I wasn't racing and I wasn't working that much, but 
And then, uh, you know, just over the past few years, I've gotten just more and more into coaching. And then over the summer, picked up a training coordinator job under QT2 with our team and training contract, which allowed me, our, again, our clinic again got sold. So at that point, I just got out of the PT world. And, you know, it was kind of this evolution of like, most of my income being from PT and then making enough from racing to drop that down and then kind of building up the coaching aspect of it to make up for not <laughs> winning much from racing really anymore. And then eventually being able to, you know, get enough from the coaching to cover life in general. So now you are fully out of physical therapy and all in on coaching. Yes. Yes. How is that going? It's I, I love it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's great. You know, that's the, that's the thing that's been nice is, you know, it's like, okay, well, my pro career is coming to an end, but I feel like this is just like a new chapter. And Palmira, we talked earlier about you deciding to step away from engineering. And it sounds like you also moved during that time from Mexico to the United States. Can you talk about that decision? We decided that if I wanted to become the best athlete that I could be, you know, better uh, environment and for us, well, there was like, oh, everybody's there, you know, all the top pros at that moment, you know, Rini, eh, everybody, you know, even, even Chrissy was here. So for us, was, oh, my God, this is the place. And, and we came here and we loved it. And yeah, it changed our lives because my career, you know, the pro career, we got the green card. So for us, it was like life changer for like definitely because, yeah, we wanted to, to stay here. We have our home now here. And it's a beautiful place to raise children. That's why it, I, I'm retiring because I'm 41 and it's like, we want to have children <laughs> because we were pushing and pushing like next year, next year, next year. It's like, I mean, it, it's hard for me to slow down because always have been like with something, you know, and now it's like this uncertainty about, because you don't know if actually it's going to happen. It's something that you, you don't know for sure, but uh, for me, it's a little bit of letting go, keeping a little bit like the routine about training a little bit and stuff. But at the same time, you know, I have been waiting for so long. I want to really enjoy, you know, this new thing, you know, if it happens. Boulder definitely sounds like the right place for you. But when you first went to Boulder, what was that like? Because I think a lot of age groupers and pros, they do just envision it as this training paradise and you just see pro athletes everywhere and the training conditions and facilities are perfect. Was it what you expected? Yeah, it was, uh, was overwhelming for sure, because in Mexico, I was, I was kind of recognized, you know, at that moment. And then I come here and I'm like, one more, you know, like everybody works out here, even like the like people from 60, 70, they meet you in the bike, they pass you like, Ooh, you know, <laughs> and swimming, they are like super badass swimmers. And it's like, oh my God, everybody here is like super, like a rock star, you know? <laughs> so uh, it was humbling being here surrounded by so much good people. And it was a lot of growing to get to know them, you know, and learn from them. And uh, it has been a very... Um, enlightening journey for me like uh, not only like as an athlete in the spiritual context you know for me has been like wow this is amazing you know like trying to be the best that I can be that I need to involve my soul you know to be better you know and and I think because the environment you know it has 
brought out of me be the best that I can be in all areas I'm grateful for that like super grateful to be to have this opportunity you know and I was like okay this is a beautiful place to have children you know because they can evolve you know in this environment where everybody's like the best of the best you look everywhere and there are like pro runners gold medalists it's like wow this is amazing so yeah it has been pretty amazing to to be here and I was pretty overwhelmed and I, I couldn't speak much English either you know it was like a, and it was hard that part the, the language barrier for me was was really hard hard but it sounds like it was worth it there, yeah, definitely. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm so happy I, I did it. This kind of challenge, you know, are like the best in life, I guess. <laughs> Jenny, you mentioned kind of figuring out early in your career that the the full distance was a great distance for you. I think I counted uh, 2012, 2013, you did five full Ironmans within 12 months. And this was during the height of Ironman's points Kona qualification system. And that system really did encourage a lot of full iron distance racing. So when you look back on your career now, what do you think of that time? You know, it's it's kind of mixed feelings because it at the time it was a lot in my body, but I think I just had a lot in my plate at the time. But at the same time, you know, I kind of look back at it and I'm like, it was actually a really good time to come up in the pro ranks because there were these like lower point races that I could go to and I could place pretty well and I could establish myself a bit. And, you know, if there had never been like lower points Ironmans, I never would have gotten the chance to win an Ironman. And the downside obviously was that it was a lot on your bot, my body to try to race to get enough points to go to Kona. But at the same time, it was system that allowed somebody who could just kind of consistently do to do well to get a chance to go to Kona so I think I went through some years where I was like I shouldn't have done that that was a bad idea but now looking back I'm like you know that was my best chance to be able to do those things to be able to win an Ironman to be able to go to Kona and so I'm like I'm glad I took the chance when I had it especially because I've seen over the past few years just how can't take anything for granted in the sport and if there's times where you're healthy and able to run with it, then sometimes you just got to roll the dice and take that chance. And Jenny, you mentioned Mary Eggers and QT2 Systems, who you now work with as a coach. Yeah. Have you been with the same coach your entire career? So I was with Mary from 2012 to 2013. And then from 2013 till the end of last year, I was with Jesse Kropelnicki. And then this past year, I've been working with Tim Snow. So, so. All, all within the QT2 yes. Systems yes. family. Yeah. You are definitely yeah. an ambassador for that brand as an athlete and coach. And throughout your career, you've had some health issues and some injuries. And we saw some glimmers of good health and success in recent years. You had a third place finish at Ironman Mont Tremblant in 2017 a second at Ironman Wisconsin, but I do know you went to a lot of races when you were injured and maybe not fully prepared. So what kept you going during those tough times? You know, I think it's just ever since I crashed in Cosmo Hell in 2014, you know, my body just never fully got past that. And I had, like I said, no, I had, you know, 2017 2018 I was able to still get back and race at a very high level and then kind of disintegrated from there um I've just always loved the sport I've loved competing and you know I it got to the point where it's like okay well it's not going to be perfect my something might hurt but for me it's always been just the balance of my enjoyment of training and competing it kind of outweighs 
the fact that like, okay, I do have these things that chronically hurt, you know, and I think just knowing the high points I've had in the sport and just knowing that even some of my high points haven't necessarily been like the flashiest on paper, but have been those races where I know what I've had to come back from and have been up against and have still found satisfaction in that that has got me going. How is that experience different when you show up to a race like Lake Placid, a race that you have won and maybe you aren't as prepared as you were in the past? I mean, I think it's it's definitely been a process over the past few years because I had like a femoral stress fracture in 2019 and finally came back from that in 2021. And I think my previous frame of reference was coming back in 2017 from having a bunch of stuff go wrong the previous couple of years and having this like amazing third place finish in Tremblant. But then coming back from the stress fracture, I still had a lot of like chronic deep glute stuff. And I just, a couple just was finishing way, way back in the field, did not have the experience of coming back strong again, but it was a while. It was just like really, really humbling. And I wasn't happy, but this past year when I went to Lake Placid, I had missed a lot of the springs. My deep glute stuff had like really, really flared up. I'd barely been able to run and I still get out there in the course and had what was for me a good day. I mean, it was like this very distant 10th pro, but I think I was able to look at it differently than I had the previous couple of years and be like, you know what? It's pretty cool that I won this race 10 years ago, but I'm still out here after everything I've been through. And I'm still out here, you know, giving it my best shot. And I think there's something to be said for that too. Palmira, your career trajectory was a little different. It took three years of racing as a pro to land on your first podium when you finished second at Challenge San Gil Half in 2016, and then eight years until you won Man 70.3 Ecuador in 2022. How do you feel about your own path in this sport? Ah, well, it has been like uh, hard, you know, because I tried to qualify for Kona, so it was kind of my goal for a long time. And the 70.3s were just, you know, training kind of. And, and somehow it's where I got the podiums. <laughs> I never got it in the full distance. And it was hard, you know, it was hard to keep improving. Sometimes it was discouraging, like, oh, what I, why I'm doing this, you know, like, I don't make it to Kona, but I think being able to race with the best, that's something you can take. Like nobody will tell you what it feels like to be there. And that's something that I I am bringing with me. And I feel very proud to, to try and not being scared. The way I started is not the way I ended. And during your career, you set up this home base in in Boulder, Colorado, but I believe you also did some training camps in different triathlon-centric locations. So do you think that approach helped your racing? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I I, I have been in um, Arizona for uh, the last winters, and it has been so so fun, you know, to change the scenery, new faces, and it helps you to have the fresh mindset. Do you usually train with people, uh, even when you go to different locations? Mostly the swim. The swim. Okay, so you find a group that you can swim with, and then you do most of your cycling and running by yourself. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I was in uh, Tucson. I was with the Aquaver. Aqua Bear in Tucson. Um, I feel like that's, it's a popular one. What is that like, that training dynamic? Is it fun? Is it intimidating? It was intimidating at the beginning. I was like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm getting into <laughs> because big names are like there. Have like Lionel Sanders and Sam Long, Heather Jackson was there for a little bit, I think, right? 
Exactly, yeah. And, and, and even Katrina Matthews was this winter was was over there. And Jackie Hearing, so a lot of names, big names. So, you know, it was fun. But uh, I think the coach, he makes a big difference. You know, his personality is uh, very inclusive. So you feel that you belong. It's competitive, but at the same time, uh, it's very friendly, you know. And going back to that race in Ecuador, you'd been racing pro for eight years. What did it feel like to break the tape? Well, it was, uh, it was amazing. It was, yeah, it was like a dream. <laughs> like, I couldn't believe it. And actually in 2000, I think it was 2017, I didn't finish that race because my, my brakes were throbbing and I, my, my legs were destroyed to run. So I couldn't, I didn't run. <laughs> I was like super tired. I kind of swear, like, I'm ne I'm never coming back, you know, to this race. And last year, I was like, I didn't finish Ironman Brazil because it was really cold. I, I never have been performing well in the cold. <laughs> so I was pretty, you know, discouraged. And La Flaca Guerrero, Maria Teresa, she said, you should mm -hmm. go to Ecuador, you know, because she, she's from there. And she, she, she was like very encouraging, like, yeah, you should do it, you know. It's, and it was like, well, you know, why not, you know, kind of like reassure me, you know, like, ah, you should do it. And, and then uh, it was weird because they changed the date because they had something going on over there, like politics, you know, some like people like um, complaining about government or something like that. So, yeah, it was it was weird, you know, like, ah, should I go? Or, because I lose the hotel. <laughs> it was like... Uh... Oh, so you're rebooking everything. But yeah. Flaca, who's, who, who's a strong age group athlete, and, and she convinced you, she, no, it's still going to be worth it. And, and it sounds like it was. Yeah, I lost everything. Like the, the, for the first booking, I, I lost it. And then I was like, okay, I'm doing it. You know, I, I want to finish one race. And actually I got, I got sick for the race. It was the first time that I got COVID. Like two days before the race, I had this sore throat. I didn't know that was COVID, you know? <laughs> and it's like, I'm doing it, you know? I came all the way here and I'm doing it. <laughs> but yeah, when I finished, I was like, I was pretty congested, you know? My, my chest was like really on fire and I couldn't even talk much, like, you know, my voice. <laughs> so the post-race celebrations were not, not what we expected. <laughs> you went through political unrest, having COVID, just all the uncertainty, got your first pro win, and also a, a slot to the 70.3 World Championships in, in St. George in 2022. Again, this has happened eight years into your pro career. Was the World Championship experience what you expected? Oh, well, yeah, I knew that was hard, but yeah, definitely it was even uh, way harder because it was so cold in St. George, and that's the, the, the worst for me. It's like, it was a great experience for sure. I, I I couldn't believe when I was at the pro meeting that I was surrounded by like the stars, you know, the sports. So it was it was it was something beautiful, you know, for me. Uh, Jenny, when did you decide twenty twenty three would be your final season of professional racing? Yeah, I did not start this year planning for it to be my last season of racing pro. I think you know towards the end of last year, I was kind of on the fence. I had proximal hamstring surgery at the end of 2021. So it's like, you know what, I, I need to take this chance that maybe it will help some of the chronic stuff that I've been dealing with for years and years and years. And it, it didn't really help that much. But so I think at the, the end of last year, though, I was kind of like, well, I'll still give it another year just because, you know, I, I should give myself one more chance just to, you know, kind of 
have a full year of training because I hadn't the previous year. I'd been spent the first half of the year rehabbing the hamstring surgery. And and the other thing was at the end of last year, I was debating like, do I want to race age group next year? Do I want to like try to get a Kona qualification and race their age group? And then I went there with my husband and I was like, nah, it's really hot. It's kind of miserable. <laughs> so I, I figured I would, you know, race the pro this year and I had a decent race in Placid and then I was going to try to back it up in Tremblant and I ended up with like just a nasty Achilles injury for a while and I think it was actually kind of when I got to the point where I like hit my 39th birthday and I was like, well, you know, next year I'm going to be 40 and I'm, it's just been this roller coaster for the past few years of always kind of like being able to train enough to get myself to a certain level and then I'll race and I'll be like, well, okay, that was decent for where I'm at, but it's the pro fearless has just gotten like so incredible over the past like four or five years that, you know, like, okay, well, this is decent for what my body can handle, but it's really just not competitive in the pro field anymore. And it, you know, the end of the day, I'm just continually on this roller coaster of like, I'll have an okay race and I'll be like, well, I want to be better. And then I'll just my analogy is that's like, like just like kind of taking these shots down the field instead of just taking a more measured approach because I feel like I had to in order to try to get to the next level. But at the end of the day, I'm just continually setting myself back and back. So I think I kind of, you know, got to the point this fall where it was like, I just, I want to be able to just, you know, not feel as pressured as I do training wise to feel like I have to kind of ignore these signals from my body and try to push myself more than I should be. I'm like, I know I can handle enough training to be competitive in the 40 to 44 age group, but I just, you know, my body can't handle the amount of training it would take for me to be a competitive pro anymore. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with admitting that. I think that's just being kind of smart and realistic about where I'm at at this point in life with that. Why did you decide Cosmo? Well, part of it was, you know, obviously I had the crash in 2014 and then I crashed again and last year broke my face and finished anyways. Um, part of it this year was just that I dealt with the Achilles injury for so long that I just needed to race the last race that I could of the season. But at the same time, I was like, you know what, this place has just been like, had so much of a hold over me, my whole pro career. I'm like, it seems like a fitting place to end. My end. And then of course I had double flatted. So Cozumel hates me. And I think we've established that for right now, but you know, it, it, it seemed like a good place to end. You crossed the line. Tell Mira, what about you? You mentioned your desire to start a family and or grow your family. When did you decide that 2023 would be the final year? Last year after the highs, Ecuador, the Podio Mi Cozumel and World Champs and everything, I didn't finish Cozumel the full distance. And I was pretty sad, you know, I felt pretty discouraged. I never quite recovered from the racing with COVID. I was so sad that I was like, I'm quitting. I don't want to do this anymore. After uh, two weeks off, I was like, okay, I will give it a try again. <laughs> so it was supposed to be one race, you know, to finish. <laughs> and then I went to Puerto Varas where we met and just for preparation. And yeah, it was fun. And then I uh, raced Brazil again, and I didn't finish Brazil <laughs> because uh, it was cold again. It was rainy. It was miserable. <laughs> and I, I got sick before the race, and this time I couldn't make it. <laughs> so uh, I was like, okay, I need 
one more full distance, one more, and I race to 70.3 in the middle. I, I had my best time here in Boulder 70.3 after eight years, or I don't know how many years. I was pretty happy that I did a good time for me. And then I raced Oregon. And yeah, after that, I was, I need to do a full, you know, to finish strong. And I, I raced Maryland, I don't know, Maryland. And I got 10 and I was, okay, I'm, I'm happy, you know, I think it was pretty, pretty, pretty good, uh, pretty decent. But I was like, I, I still, you know, I have this fitness. I can make it a little bit longer. So maybe I can finish strong in Mexico. <laughs> I wanted to finish one year ago, <laughs> but I kind of like made it through one year more. So yeah, it was extra time. <laughs> It is so interesting because you're getting your wins, you're getting some best times, and yet you knew it was it was time to be done. Yeah, some people say, ah, you can still keep doing it. There are some old moms here in Boulder <laughs> like having kids and they are 40-something. But I was like, I'm tired too. It has been <laughs> so much training for me. And it, like Ginny said, everything is getting harder and harder. <laughs> the the <laughs> profile is like going up, up. It's like, oh my God, I don't know if I want to keep up with this. It's I'm not um, thinking to raise age group, you know, like right now. It's like, no, I don't think so. You know, I, it's, I want a break. I feel tired of keeping things on the side, like my family, you know, I don't go to Mexico as often. I don't have time for them. I have neglected other areas in my life and I was like, okay, I want to bring it back. Be more relaxed and enjoy the life for a little bit. <laughs> what was it like preparing for your final pro race? Did it feel different? Yeah, I mean, I guess a little bit because I kind of, I was already sort of like in the training cycle for Cozumel when I decided it was going to be my last race. And, you know, then I kind of like just went through this crisis of should I finish racing pro? <laughs> and it, it's been really helpful being kind of with being coached by Tim throughout that time because he had gone through it. And we just, you know, like had this long talk about what I was thinking. I was like, I just need this decided before I get to this race. Like, and I think then, once that was decided, I felt, well, I'm also a little bit more relaxed about things because it was just kind of like, you know, this is just swan song. I had a lot of issues going on this fall. I was dealing with the Achilles and like my deep glute stuff was just really, really bad on the bike. I was really struggling with that. And I think kind of knowing that like, okay, this is it. Like once you get through this, you can kind of just breathe a little bit and go at things in a different way rather than what you feel you felt you've had to do all these years. So it just, it took the pressure off, honestly, you know, it's kind of just hoping I could just get there and have a decent day. <laughs> and of course it didn't work out that way, but it, it definitely was, was good to know that it was like, okay, just be who you are. You don't need to be like comparing yourself to the pro field or feeling like you have to prove you still belong racing in the pro field. Cause I think that was getting at me too. It was like every race. I was like, oh, I feel like I have to still prove that I should still be racing pro. And once I was like, well, I'm not going to be racing pro. I don't have to prove that anymore. It just was a little bit better of a mental state to go at things with. Where do you think that pressure comes from to prove you, you should still be racing pro? Is it internal or is it external? I think, I mean, it was internal for the most part, you know, I, uh, I'm like definitely like the imposter syndrome person who always feels like I have to be like proving myself at everything. And, uh, so I think there's just a lot of self-doubt of feeling like I go to, you know, a local race and people are like, oh, this is Jenny. She's a pro. And I'm like, well, you know, you know, no one cares more than I did, I think. So 
when I meet new people, I say I'm I'm really true Iron Man champion, and like that's my full name. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> the opposite of imposter syndrome. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's quite fun though. Palmira, what about what about you? What was it like to prepare for what you knew was your final pro race? Well, I kind of tried to appreciate everything. I was riding with fellow pros during this preparation and here in Boulder. And I was telling them like, I'm so happy that I'm keeping up with you guys. Next time, my fitness level will be maybe not enough to keep up with you guys. <laughs> so I was kind of appreciating everything. I enjoy it so much. Like I was really enjoying every moment, trying to keep it in my mind. So for all of us, social media was really new in the beginnings of our pro careers in that 2012 to 2014 timeframe. And then it became a really big deal. And Palmyra, it seems like you've really embraced social media. You have your Iron Barbie 13 Instagram account. It has more than 60,000 followers and you have really built the Iron Barbie brand and you did it before Barbie was even a big deal. I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on branding and social media as a pro triathlete. I think it's my personality. I'm very social. I like to, I, I like to share things and for me, it was very natural. It was first triathlon. I was like, okay, I'm sharing how it's my fitness journey, you know, like not being a pro triathlete, but trying to be in shape, you know, and trying to eat well. And I try to communicate and add value to people, you know, like it's my mission right now. I want to add value and care about them. It's evolving as I'm evolving as well. So even if Iron Barbie isn't racing, we can still expect Iron Barbie to be out there for us in social media. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it's it's part of my personality. And maybe 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 some people will be not interested anymore. But I think at the end of the day, I will be most like the normal people. You know, like uh, trying to balance, you know, life with uh, being fit. You know, and right now it's like mission impossible almost. You know, honestly, I think some things that had worked for me, I think can work for the most of the people. Jenny, what about you? How do you feel about the evolution of social media and sponsor partnerships throughout your career? Yeah, I mean, it's been, I think I, when I started triathlon, it was like, we used to upload pictures from digital cameras to like Facebook albums. <laughs> That's how old I am. But I don't know. I feel like my social media use, I'm not good at it. I'm not like, for me, it's always just been kind of like, just be myself and just kind of share, you know, some of the stuff I've gone through. And you know, I've always gotten really good feedback from a lot of people really like taking the time to reach out to me and like just have been like super supportive about like, thank you for sharing stuff like this. It's nice to kind of get this like realistic approach to it. So that that's kind of always been where I'm at. And, you know, I think that's probably one of my other signs. It was time to retire from pro triathlon too, is like, like all of like the newer stuff with like reels and like YouTube channels and all that. I'm like, I just, I don't know. I just, don't feel like I can keep up with that. So it's definitely, you know, just been this like super different journey from just make a Facebook post or like write your blog to now it's all like, it's so much more professionalized almost, if that makes sense. You really need to have your space on the web. And for me, my space on the web is just kind of being myself. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting. Can you both share a favorite race memory? In 2017, I broke the female Mexican record in Ironman Barcelona, and I was so, so happy, you know, and I remember that that trip was very, pretty magical. 
I stay in a hotel and they made me feel like family. They they were so nice to me. I felt like totally like I, I belong. In all, I was so happy, you know, about breaking the Mexican record and having a PR. When I was a student, you know, my dream was to study a master's degree in Barcelona. And it never happened because I never I never got the, the scholarship. And, and I had to work, you know, I had to, to keep working. And it was like mostly a dream, you know, to go in there and study. But somehow through the sport, I travel over there and I I kind of made this dream come true. Another dream, you know, about uh, breaking the Mexican record. So yeah, I think that's my best memory so far. Jenny, what about you? I guess, you know, probably the race that meant the what most to me was that 2017 Ironman Montreblanc because I was just it's coming off like a year when I didn't race and then a year that I've been like kind of racing through some injuries and then I had a couple surgeries and you know, the, at the end of the day, I'd gone most three years since finishing an Ironman when I got to that race. And I was supposed to race cans earlier that summer and I got food poisoning on the way over there. And, you know, like was in Australia, supposed to do my comeback Ironman, not like dying on the couch. So, you know, I, I originally that race wasn't even in the plan. So, you know, I just got out there with no idea what to expect, you know, kind of feeling like I'd even forgotten how to race an Ironman. And I ended up just having like a really solid day and just steadily working my way up. And, you know, it's kind of looking back, it's kind of funny on the run, like third or fifth places, we were all just like exchanging porta potties the last like seven, eight miles of the run. And, uh, you know, I managed to hold on, you know, I went really, really deep that race. I think it was the one time I actually like, just like threw up on the side of the course and rallied, <laughs> but you know, managed to hold on onto the podium and it just was kind of this like validation that everything I'd fought through for the final last few years had been worth it. And, you know, I came in, I think like three or four minutes behind Kim Schwabenbauer, who we had been to like so many training camps together and raced so much together over the years. And she was like having her first race after having her first daughter. So it was, it was just a really, really special day on a lot of levels. And, you know, it was kind of, one of the ones when I had gotten sick in Australia and I was just like, how is this, how is this even possible that, you know, I've gone so much through so much to get myself back to an Ironman and like, this is what's happening. But then that happened. I'm like, okay, well, I guess, I guess that was the reason. <laughs> so it was more worth it than it would have been otherwise. Do you have any regrets? Well, I regret that I crashed my bike in Comstock in 2014, but otherwise, you know, I don't, I think there's some times when I look back probably over the last, like, five or six years and I'm like, why didn't you just stop running then? Like, I think the uh, femoral stress fracture, that was one of my hardest injuries, I think, and something that still kind of haunts me to this day. So that's probably my biggest regret was being in denial about that one for as long as I was and pushing it for as long as I did. And, you know, really, really complicating the recovery process to that, especially too, because, you know, then I for the next like year. I mean, it's the pandemic year, so there weren't races anyways, but I kept like starting and stopping running and probably caused myself issues that I didn't really need to. So that, I mean, just that particular injury was probably my biggest regret. Everything else I think, you know, would have happened one way or another. Palmira, what about you? My biggest regret was sometimes focusing so much about what people thought of me. Right now it's like, 
uh, I don't need validation of any type. I don't need anybody to feel enough. That's something that I was always trying to prove in Mexico, you know? And right now it's like, I don't care, you know? I did what, whatever I wanted to do and I'm 41 now. It's like, why? <laughs> I was so worried about it. You know? like, this is insane. I'm like, but yeah, maybe I needed to leap all over, you know, <laughs> to realize that it doesn't matter. It's always about you and your journey and you, you, you need only God's validation. Are there ways you grew as a person in the past nine to 12 years that you think would not have happened if you had never become a professional triathlete? Uh, living in U.S., <laughs> like, yeah, it's definitely something that will never happen if I had the braveness to make it. Meeting some beautiful people like you guys, uh, I'm so different right now from who I was. I mean, the essence is the same, but I feel more mature and, you know, more appreciative. What about you, Jenny? Pretty much everywhere where I've like where I've landed at life right now, it's because of pro triathlon. You know, I think when I first started racing pro, you know, I was kind of like working these clinical PT jobs and it was okay, but I didn't love it. And, you know, I was just kind of at like this crossroads about what do I want to do long term? And, you know, I had always, always had like such a passion for running and sport. And, you know, even in high school, I was like, oh man, I wish I was like fast enough to race pro, but I totally wasn't like that fast of a runner. So then, you know, I got this uh, kind of chance of a lifetime from pro triathlon and it's just sort of evolved into this like coaching career now that, you know, I would not have been, had the chance to grow into without my years in pro triathlon. And then I think it's just also, it's like just this amazing experience that I can look back and, and, you know, be just be like, you know, I did some really hard things and I <laughs> raced like some really, really tough races. And I have to draw back on that sometimes. So like if I'm feeling like unconfident or something, just be like, you know what, you can do hard things is what it boils down to. And I think one of the other reasons I felt kind of content about retiring from racing pro is I can look at it now and say like, hey, it got me to this place in life where I'm like really, really happy and I love what I'm doing. And so I'm happy with kind of stepping back from the pro side of it. And obviously like still continuing on competing because it's a part of me, but you know, it's just making that part of my life now because the rest of my life is just this like amazing thing that I was able to grow into because of these pro experiences. Jenny, I understand I still intend to race as an age grouper. So can you talk to us more about that decision? And do you have any goals for your age group racing career? Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, it's kind of, when I was talking to Tim, he's like, yeah, you're a lifer. And, you know, I think that's, that's true. I mean, I was a like college walk on, you know, I was just always kind of happy to just to be able to run. And so it's, it's just ingrained in my DNA to compete. And, you know, it's, it's funny when I was, at Kona with my husband in 2022, I was like, eh, I don't know about racing there. And then totally like I had an athlete racing there this year and I'm watching like the women's only race. And I'm like, you know what? I want to do that. I want to go and race there as an age grouper. So, um, you know, I've got, got some races lined up for next year and probably the biggest goal will be just to place well in an Ironman next fall, you know, lock up that qualification. Um, yeah, that's kind of the longer term goals and the intermediate term. I'm well, sort of more immediate term. I'm trying to do something I haven't done in a lot of years, which is just feel like I can weigh back down biking and try to just get my run back a little bit too. And Palmira, you have made a different decision and you've already spoken about growing your family. 
do you think you'll you'll still be involved in the sport? Do you think that there's a chance, you know, maybe down the road we'll see you as that 60 year old doing the triathlon? Yeah, well, yeah, let uh, maybe, yeah, uh, why not? There is no age limit right now, you know, to keep uh, racing, but uh, I'm focusing right now in open water races here, uh, local races here in Boulder for the summer, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, it's funny because uh, the swim has uh, been a struggle for me and now I kind of love it. <laughs> yeah, because I know that if I'm pregnant, I can keep doing it, you know, and it's something that I'm planning in the near future. And yeah, maybe it's, uh, at some point go to Boston, you know, like doing, yes, you know, marathon because I want to do a marathon or things like that, you know, and maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe in 10 years or something like that, triathlon again, but who knows? <laughs> Let's see. I imagine you're both still fans of the sport and 2024 has a lot of new things happening. We have the PTO series, the Ironman pro series, the Ironman world championship women's race will be happening in Nice for the first time. Uh, the 70.3 worlds will be in New Zealand. And of course it's an Olympic year. Is there anything you're excited to watch unfold as alumni of the pro field? Oh, yeah, I will absolutely be fangirling all of this, you know, I, especially now that I don't have to compete anymore. I'm like super, super excited to, to watch like how much depth and speed there is at, in women's pro triathlon these days. So I think it'll be really interesting to watch that. It'll be interesting just to see kind of even like strategy wise, what strategies people take in terms of like balancing the Ironman series and, you know, world championship qualifications. Um, We'll love to see worlds in nice too and just see you know what kind of difference athletes that favors as well so yeah i uh i am ex super excited to follow all of this and of course the olympics and <laughs> it's going to be an awesome year what about you palmira are you still going to be cheering people on as a fan of the sport yeah definitely yeah i will be follow following you you know and 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 like other athletes that I uh, really appreciate, you know, and I will be cheering them on and get, getting some inspiration as well, you know, because I think the, the, the sport, like you said, is evolving and it will be interesting to, to, to see all these athletes, great athletes striving. And then I will say, oh, I will ra I race with her or I race with him, you know, it's like, it was amazing. I can believe I, I was there. <laughs> so yeah, it will be very interesting, like Ginny said, to watch and expectate and uh, learn, you know, keep learning and, and, and getting inspired, you know. <laughs> So you both posted really beautiful Instagram video tribute to your pro careers. And, and I got very emotional watching both of them because even though they are, they're focused on you, I remember a lot of those moments and I was at some of those races and I do recognize we've been contemporaries in this sport. And I just, I loved racing with you. I admire you both so much, and I'm really going to miss having you in the pro field in 2024, but thank you so much for, for sharing those memories and for coming on the show today. Thanks so much for having us, Haley. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you so much, Haley. It was, it was great. Uh, thank you for considering us. And yeah, I feel very honored to be with Jenny. I remember one time I looked some pictures of you entering to the finish line and some people like on the side, you were like kind of like with the hand, you know, like doing this. <laughs> And it was the carpet and I was, oh my God, it looks so pretty. And I remember that I don't love that picture because it was kind of inspired. 
<laughs> and then it's like we race together and it's like oh my god this is this is amazing. <laughs> so thank you so much Kaylee for sharing this with us and I feel very very happy to talk to you Happy New Year, Iron Women podcast listeners. For those of you new to the show, we want to tell you about Pillar. Pillar is a sports micronutrition company who have developed products that intersect between pharmaceutical intervention and sports supplements for athletes. The easiest way to describe it is hydration and carbohydrates products that will take you through to the finish line. Pillar's mission is to get athletes to the start line in the best condition over and over again. After seeing athletes like 2022 Ironman world champion Chelsea Sidero and 2016 Olympic gold medalist Gwen Jorgensen post about using Pillar to improve their sleep performance, I decided to give Pillar triple magnesium a try. I take it about 60 minutes before bed and I do actually feel like I sleep deeper and recover better. In the same way I love to start my day with a coffee, I now wind it down with a cup of Pillar triple magnesium and recover better for tomorrow's training. If you would like to make Pillar part of your 2024 New Year routine and you're in the US, head to thefeed.com slash Pillar and enter code FEISTY for 15% off of your first purchase. For our international listeners, head to PillarPerformance.shop and that's code FEISTY for 15% off of all first-time purchases. Alyssa, AminoCo has been a longtime podcast sponsor, and every time I'm listening to the show and I hear our AminoCo ad, I'm always shocked to hear how AminoCo co-founder Dr. Robert Wolf has run a marathon in under two hours and 30 minutes, 62 times. I just can't believe that's a real stat. Me either. It is very impressive, and it gives me a lot of confidence Dr. Wolf knows what he's talking about when it comes to performance and recovery. I actually took AminoCo Heal before and after my recent knee surgery. I've been using Heal a lot after really big workouts as I've started to ramp up my training. And I also use my personal favorite, AminoCo Perform, before and during my hardest sessions. Do you have a favorite flavor? For Perform, I definitely go with the strawberry lemonade. It has a really light flavor and a little bit of caffeine that I think helps keep me focused during my really tough intervals. And for heel, I like vanilla. I just feel like vanilla gets me into recovery mode. What about you? The vanilla heel is my favorite too. I find it mixes really well into my post-workout shakes that I make. Wait, what do you put in your shakes? Well, oftentimes just whatever I have in the fridge, sometimes vegetables, sometimes collagen, you know, whatever I have. Summer shakes are way more interesting because it's like I make them cold. But the winter shakes are a little less fancy. Do you ever add snow to your winter shakes? <laughs> I mean, I'm going to start doing that now. <laughs> I don't know, maybe make sure it's clean snow. I am not quite as fancy. I just add water. It, I think it still works pretty well. But uh, well, however you like your Amino Co, you can rest assured that in clinical trials, muscle protein synthesis from exercise more than doubled by athletes using Perform and Heal was shown to trigger muscle growth and repair better than other high quality protein sources. Head to aminoco.com slash ironwomen to see very large photos of me and Haley using AminoCo products. Then select your favorite products and use code IRONWOMEN for 30% off at checkout. First time purchases also come with a free gift. That's aminoco.com forward slash ironwomen and code IRONWOMEN for 30% off.
Alyssa, I know your pro career also spanned much of the same years as Jenny and Palmyra. And I was curious if you had any fun memories you could share about racing with either one of them. Yeah. So Haley, Jenny and I actually, it's one of those, like such a small world story. So one of my good friends when I was living and training and racing in Baltimore, still as an amateur, um, had, I believe like ran in college with Jenny. And so I was trying to scrape together this trip to go race 70.3 world in Vegas that year. It was like in Vegas. And so, um, my friend Carly was like, Oh, my friend Jenny's like really into triathlons now. I think she's going to that too. Like, I think she's trying to save some money on the trip too. let me introduce you guys. You can like room together. So I ended up meeting Jenny out there and rooming her and her husband, Dave and me like shared a room for that, um, that event. And Jenny was super green, new to triathlon still, but she was like so good, but Haley, our room and like free race was just like pure chaos. I just remember everything being so chaotic because I, like neither of us had been traveling and racing a lot to do things by ourselves and to like build bikes really comfortably and figure that out really comfortably. So there was just like all this chaos around that. And then Jenny was just so new to triathlon in general. I was like, oh my gosh, she's so fast. We have to like, make sure she's like doing these, some of these right things. Cause she really had like no concept of a lot of things. I mean, she'll tell you. Right. But it was just like, she was clearly just so talented at that point. Um, but I just remember like, I, if I close my eyes and I think about that weekend, I just remember like the hotel room and you know, you have those trips with the hotel room if there's two triathletes in one room and it's like stuff everywhere, like from bike pieces, yes. like pieces of our bike everywhere to clothing piles to like food piles. I just remember it being like pure chaos in there. There was like no room to even walk and it was so stressful, but it was really awesome. Jenny did really well. I think that was the race where like, she definitely secured her pro card. And like, I think, it, I think I want to say she was the yeah, second, second, second amateur. There. Yeah. Second yeah, yeah, amateur. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, it was, and it was just fun for me to see like, oh my gosh, she's going to be so good. Like she clearly, like if, you know, if she figures out some more about the sport, she's going to be really good. So that was like such a cool insight into like, before she really took off and had even more major success. That is a fun story. I raced with Jenny at Montchamblant in 2013 when I think she clenched her first Kona qualification. And I remember her, like the picture of her hugging her coach at the finish line where she's just like totally depleted. She had passed me in the final miles of the run. I think she finished top five and I was like eighth or, and she was like fifth or sixth. I don't remember exactly, but, um, and I ended up getting my first Kona qualification at that race as well when the points system, you know, everything rolled down. So that was kind of a special one for me. And then I think Palmira and I, uh, both raced at challenge Pertavares last year and we had a fun time doing post-race karaoke. Afterwards. <laughs> what so songs did you sing? Okay. I did sing a song with Palmyra and I do not, I feel like it might've been like Whitney Houston. I don't remember, which is very <laughs> character for me. The one I did by myself. Well, no, I didn't do it by myself. I started Taylor Swift, shake it off by myself. And then another, another woman joined me okay. to like say, save me. Um, and so it was a fun time. It was a very fun time. There are videos that exist, but I don't think I'm going to share those. <laughs> <laughs> these are the great things that happen when you race long enough as a professional, you get some special, special memories, but thank you so much to Jenny and Palmyra for coming on the show and congratulations on your incredible careers. Oh, all right, Haley. Well, stay warm out there and I'll talk to you next week. Bye Alyssa.
You've been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Lydia Russell and produced by Ellen Natitian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.